The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 163 The Scribe of the Law of the God of Heaven Esther's faithfulness and courage ensured the survival of the Jews, not just those in the capital, Shushan, but all over the Persian Empire. The returning Jews in Judea were also protected from the wicked Haman's conniving. Yet the Jews were soon in a troublesome situation once again, this time brought on by themselves. Just one generation removed from God's deliverance at Urim, the Jews in Judea again forgot the law of God, choosing to follow the ways and customs of the surrounding people. About 15 years after God delivered the Jews, the crown prince was murdered and Xerxes' second eldest son, Artaxerxes, assumed the throne of the Persian Empire. Seven years into Artaxerxes' reign, he received a petition from Ezra, a well-known Jewish scribe in Babylon seeking permission to return to Jerusalem. As a descendant of the famous high priest Zadok, Ezra was undoubtedly well-educated in scribal duties. At the time, this meant being able to accurately and faithfully copy the ancient scrolls. These ancient scrolls are the source for the majority of the Old Testament canon we have today. Being a scribe was not an easy task. A competent scribe had to know ancient Hebrew extremely well, which was a different language from what was spoken throughout the Persian Empire. Also, given that the biblical scrolls were written without spaces between words, as well as without punctuation, a scribe had to be well educated in the text to be able to correctly read and separate its different portions. Not just anyone could pick up an ancient scroll and read it in Ezra's day, let alone make enough sense out of it to teach others. Ezra was different, however. Given his lineage, it's likely he was trained from a young age to accurately read and understand the scrolls. Even so, it took a great amount of time and effort on his part. As he diligently studied the law of God, Ezra set his mind to follow it as closely as he could in his day-to-day -day life. Soon, he was inspired and felt compelled to teach others the dynamic law of God, especially those in the fledging Jewish province of Judea. God led Ezra to see that the people would only be successful if they recognized the importance of God's law. Because of Ezra's passion for the law, God opened big doors for him to fulfill his heart's desire. Chapter 
As with the many Jewish leaders before him, Ezra had a close relationship with the Persian government. Once Ezra approached Artaxerxes with his desire to return to Judea, God inspired the king to give him extraordinary favor. In order to ensure Ezra had the necessary authority to fulfill his commission in Judea, Artaxerxes commanded his own royal scribe to write the following decree, a copy of which was given to Ezra before he left. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, scribe of the law of the God of heaven, greetings. I decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom who volunteer to go to Jerusalem with you, including priests and Levites, may go. You are sent by the king and his seven Persian counselors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God that is in your hand. Also, you are to take with you the silver and gold that the king and his advisors have freely given to the God of Israel. Now I, King Artaxerxes, decree to all the treasures of province on the western side of the Euphrates that you are to provide with diligence whatever Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law of the God of heaven, may ask of you. You are also to know that you have no authority to impose taxes, tribute, or duty on any of the priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, temple servants, or other workers at this house of God. And as for you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God, which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of Trans-Euphrates, all who know the law of your God, and to teach any who do not know them. Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king must speedily be punished by death, banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. Signed, Artaxerxes, King of Persia. Ezra was dumbfounded by the favor he had received when he read the letter. He knew God was opening the door for his return to Jerusalem, and he thanked God for the favor. Within a few days of Ezra's receipt of Artaxerxes' letter, word reached the Jews in the area about the opportunity to return to Judea. As had been the case with Zerubbabel's return 80 years earlier, many of the Jews decided to stay in Babylon, where life for the most of them had become quite comfortable. Those who wanted to start a new life in Judea did not come from famous family lines. They were common people, yet they were the ones who desired, as Ezra did, to keep the laws of God in their ancient homeland. These people packed up their possessions, their animals, and their families, and they headed to the outskirts of Babylon to meet Ezra. On the banks of the Ahava River, the excited Jews set up their tents, awaiting other families from more distant parts of the empire. Meanwhile, Ezra walked through the makeshift camp, 
introducing himself to those who didn't already know him and noting which families were present. After three days, Ezra noticed that an important group of people were missing, the Levites. He saw many of the priests, all descendants of Aaron, but none of the Levites who were to perform many of the more menial tasks in service to the priests. This would not do. Ezra quickly sent letters from the camp to Pasiphia, where many Levitical families were living at the time. Upon reading Ezra's letter, Iddo, the leader of the Levites at the town, sent a number of faith-filled men and their families to Ezra, increasing the group's numbers. The arrival a few days later of the Levitical families and their servants, the Nathanims, brought the total men preparing to depart to around 2,000. Yet one important task had to be done before they set off. While those in the camp waited for the Levites from Casiphia to arrive, some expressed concern about the journey to Jerusalem. From Babylon, the slow four-month trek would take them through some of the most dangerous areas in the Middle East. The dangers posed to caravans by the Bedouin Arabs who prowled through the desert were well known. A traveling group of families, including women and children, cattle and lots of wealth would make a desirable target for marauders. This was the reason King Artaxerxes had offered Ezra an armed royal escort of the finest Persian cavalry to accompany the group. Ezra, however, refused the soldiers' help, telling the Persian emperor, The gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. He wanted to walk by faith and set an example of faith. It would have been a shame to accept protection from a Gentile king rather than looking to God. Still, Ezra knew that for God to be with them, they would have to do their part. Therefore, just as they were ready to leave, Ezra proclaimed a group-wide fast, 24 hours without food and water, to draw the people closer to God. During the fast, everyone prayed that God would protect their families on their journey and guide them to the right path. After the fast, Ezra and the people were full of confidence that God would provide everything they needed on the dangerous journey. Four months later, the large company of Jews arrived in Jerusalem, unscathed from the journey and in good spirits. God had answered their prayers, providing them with miraculous protection from many would-be robbers along the way. Before they left, Ezra had entrusted the great amount of gold and silver that Artaxerxes gave the group to twelve upright priests. Once they arrived, the twelve brought forth their portion of the wealth to the temple to be weighed in, and it was all there. In a very emotional affair, the returning Jews set out to offer sacrifices to God on the temple altar something they had only read and been taught about. 
For most of the people returning with Ezra, and likely even Ezra himself, this was the first time they had been to Jerusalem and seen the temple of Zerubbabel that had been built 80 years earlier. For the following few months, Ezra worked busily to ensure that the gold and silver was used to beautify and refurbish the temple. He also met with some of the civil rulers from the neighboring areas so they knew his leadership credentials as stipulated by the emperor's edict. All seemed to be going along quite well for the people. But while Ezra took care of official business, he did not spend much time with the people themselves. One day, some leading men approached Ezra while he was attending to the temple beautification. Ezra, we have just returned from touring the land of Judea and Jerusalem, one of them said, and we noticed a horrific sin. What do you mean? asked God's scribe. The people, the priests, and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands. Another spoke up. They are following their way of life in contradiction to the law of God. Even worse, they have taken the daughters of those heathen nations and married them to the sons of Israel. And they have given our daughters to be married to their young men. In all of this, they have mingled the holy seed with the people of the land. Ezra was shocked and grieved. How many are involved in this sin? He asked. Everyone! 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 They replied together. Indeed, even the rulers and the priests are involved. Ezra was overcome with emotion. He tore his outer garment and even yanked out part of his beard and hair. Sitting on the ground, Ezra found it difficult to comprehend how it was possible for God's people to again become involved in such heinous sins. These were the very sins that had caused them to go into captivity before. And now, having been relieved from captivity by God's great mercy and deliverance, they were once again engaging in the same sins. For hours, Ezra sat and contemplated what this meant. Many of the Jews assembled before Ezra, waiting to see what he would do. They too were keenly aware of how God felt about these sins. Finally, at the time of the evening sacrifice, Ezra arose and walked to the front of the temple of God with a heavy heart. While Ezra hadn't committed the sin, he felt it was his responsibility as the spiritual leader of the people to confess to God on their behalf. The crowd of repentant Jews followed him to the temple grounds, where Ezra fell upon his knees. Spreading out his hands before the temple, Ezra prayed aloud within earshot of the people, his weeping seen by all. Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you. 
My God, for our sins have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day we have been in great guilt, and because of our sins we, our kings and our priests, were given into the hand of the Babylonians, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame. But now, for a brief moment, you have been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in your sanctuary, and you give light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. Though we are slaves, you have not forsaken us in our bondage. You have shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia, granting us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. And you've given us a wall of protection in Judah and Jerusalem. But now, our God, what can we say after this? For we have forsaken the commands you gave through your servants the prophets, when you said, The land you are entering to possess is a land polluted by the corruption of its peoples. By their detestable practices they have filled it with their impurity from one end to the other. Therefore, do not give your daughters in marriage to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them at any time, that you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it to your children as an everlasting inheritance. What has happened to us is a result of our evil deeds and our great guilt. And yet, our God, you have punished us less than our sins deserved and have given us a remnant to return to Jerusalem. Shall we then break your commands again and intermarry with the peoples who commit such detestable practices? Would you not be angry enough with us to destroy us, leaving us no remnant or survivor? Lord God of Israel, you only are righteous. We are left this day as a small remnant before you in our guilt, though because of it not one of us can stand in your presence. When Ezra finished these words, he lifted his head and rose to his feet. Wiping the tears from his eyes, he saw that a large crowd of people had filled the temple courtyard, surrounding him in every direction. As Ezra's vision cleared, he noticed that these people too had been crying, their eyes swollen and red like his. Obviously, these people had realized their sin and were deeply affected by Ezra's prayer. The Jewish remnant saw themselves as family, and as such, they were all in this together. Something had to be done to correct the sin, or else they knew they would be returning to captivity once again. As they stood in silence, a young man wove through the crowd making his way to Ezra. We have sinned against our great God by taking wives of the people of this land. Shechaniah, the grandson of Elam, said, addressing Ezra. But there is still hope, he continued, having been motivated by Ezra's powerful prayer. Let us renew 
our covenant with God, putting away those wives and their children that have come from them according to your direction and the law of God. Arise, Ezra, as you are our leader, and this matter is in your hands. We will support you, so take courage and do it. Still upset by the sins of the people, seeing Shechaniah's resolute attitude to make changes encouraged Ezra. If the people had the same attitude as Shechaniah in getting rid of sin, God might extend mercy upon the people once more. Ezra took the advice of the young man and called together all the leading priests and Levites, asking them to swear by an oath that they would do as Shechaniah had described. Once all had agreed, a swift proclamation went out over all the land of Judea, summoning all the families from the outlying areas to Jerusalem within three days to discuss the matter. If they did not come to Jerusalem within the agreed time, they would forfeit the right to their properties and be banished from the land. In the meantime, Ezra started a fast and withdrew to one of the chambers in the temple area to continue praying to God about the sin of the people. Three days later, Ezra walked to the front steps of the temple to address the massive crowd that had assembled in obedience to the proclamation. You have sinned and taken strange wives, adding to the guilt of Israel, boomed Ezra to all the men of Judah and Benjamin. Confess your sin to the God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourselves from the people of the land. The people lifted up their voices in one accord, shouting, All that you say, we will do! One of the men spoke up. Since there are many people here, and it is a time of great rain, we cannot all stand here while the sin is judged. This matter cannot be taken care of in a day or two because so many people have committed this sin. What do you propose? Ezra asked. First, let us all return to our towns. The man continued. Then let everyone in our towns who have married a foreign woman come at a set time, along with the elders and judges of each town, until the fierce anger of our God in this matter is turned away from us. A few listening disagreed with the plan, but Ezra thought it was a good way to cleanse the nation of sin. He dismissed the crowd to return to their homes until they were summoned. It took quite some time for so many transgressors to appear before Ezra and the patriarchs of each family. Examining each case individually required a lot of effort, but Ezra wanted to be sure that the sin was completely removed from Judah. It was also difficult for the patriarchs of each family to witness the sin of their families. After three months of judging the people, the people of God were finally cleansed of this sin. The book of Ezra records the names of the 109 men who had married foreign wives of them, 17 were priests and 10 were Levites, a sorry reflection of just how prevalent the sin had become. Nevertheless, 
the people were willing to do what it took to overcome the transgression of God's law, which ultimately turned God's anger from the nation. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story, find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church.